I love to tell and give testimony of God's faithfulness, particularly as testimonies kind of merge and stories cross paths. It is my wonderful, wonderful privilege to introduce to you and to minister to our hearts today a young couple that 30 years ago we went to school with. Both Wendy and I went to school with Eric and Jay Lynn. And what is neat is that for the first time in 30 years, we saw them last night. Um, they have faithfully ministered, um, as Eric was the pastor of a church in Williamsburg, Virginia. Uh, they're part of the Grandparents Club, so we kind of connect on that. I remember years ago, Eric was a freshman. I was one year older than him, and you could not, you could not discourage the guy. He always had a sense of joy and a smile on his face. And it is a wonderful, wonderful privilege to know that God continues to use Eric and Jay Lynn as they are, Lord willing, leaving the U.S. to minister to the Philippines. And it is my joy to introduce Eric. Sorry about that. Good morning. Thank you, Pastor Tim and Wendy and church family. What a joy it is to be with you this morning. Um, and, and thank you for being, you, may, you don't know this, most of you don't know this, but you are the first church that has taken us on for support. <laughs> we, have, we have three churches now, including our, our, our home church there in Williamsburg, Virginia, but you were the first ones. So, and all the rest of our support so far is coming from, from individuals. So thank you for, for praying for us already. Thank you for the warm welcome we've received. And we look forward to getting more acquainted uh, during the Sunday school hour and then afterwards. So uh, my wife and I are headed to the Philippines as missionaries with Word of Life uh, Bible Institute. I'll share more about that. I think for the sake of time, I'll skip some of that. So Mitch, let's go ahead and advance the slides to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I would ask you to take your Bibles and turn there with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. What I'd like to do this morning, I know this is your missions emphasis. This isn't going to be a, a typical missions message as you might expect. This is something the Lord has, has had on my heart for months and I, I keep sharing it uh, anytime I have an opportunity because it, it made such an impact upon me. But uh, I want to connect it to your vision statement. Your vision statement reads this, to build relationships so that God is glorified and lives are transformed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'll read that again. To build relationships so that God is glorified and lives are transformed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. There, there are two different areas of relationships mentioned in your vision statement. One is, we would say, that maybe the horizontal, the, the interpersonal relationships we have with other humans and how God is transforming our lives. But he's transforming our lives through the message of a different relationship, and that's the vertical relationship with God. And so the key word I want to share with you this morning is reconciliation. Reconciliation, that is really the, the theme. Uh, I think a lot of times when we think about the gospel message, or maybe even when we share the gospel with others, maybe we shortchange it a little bit. Because sometimes we get so focused on just getting someone to heaven, right? The, the gospel is, is what they have to believe. They have to put their faith in Christ in order to get to heaven. 
And maybe that's even what we emphasize in our message, but the message of the gospel is greater than just having eternal fire insurance, right? The message of the gospel is that God welcomes us into his very presence. The, the gospel message is, is that, that a holy God who is totally separate from sin takes sinners, you and I, and made it possible to bring us back into a right relationship with himself. That's reconciliation. That's what we enjoy every day, right? I mean, I hope you're enjoying I hope it, your enjoyment of the Lord is not just, well, one day I get to go to heaven. The, 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 the truth of the gospel, the richness of the gospel, is that God is with me today. God is welcoming me, welcoming me into his very presence. He urges me commands me even to come to him in prayer, to fellowship with him throughout the day. His Holy Spirit is resident within us. And he's the one that's doing the transformation in our lives. You see, the, see the gospel is much more than eternal fire insurance. It's the bringing back of a relationship that God intended from creation. And one day, when the, our salvation is ultimately completed, we will be totally separate from sin and we will be in, in his very presence, in his manifest presence. The holy God, us there, and not being consumed, and said, welcomed by his love. I, want you, I ask you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Here in 2 Corinthians 5, the apostle Paul is describing his ministry. Uh, he's sharing a number of the things that motivated him in his gospel ministry, especially in regards to this theme of reconciliation. If you know much about the apostle Paul's ministry, um, he, you know, wherever he went, he said trials await him. Trials, imprisonments, beatings, and, and he went through so many trials. I, I often joke that uh, he was like Tonto. How many remember the Lone Ranger and Tonto? I know I'm a grandfather now. I'm aging myself. But, you know, Tonto, you know, go to town. And every time he went to town, he got beat up, right? And it, that's sort of like what the Apostle Paul was. He goes into town. He, spreads, he shares the gospel. And so many times he was beaten. He was imprisoned and so forth. So what keeps someone like that motivated in ministry? Well, there, there were a number of things, and we don't have time to, to outline all of them here this morning, but I really just want us to focus in on reminding ourselves about the mission, that we have the same mission that the Apostle Paul had. And we think about missionaries, um, you know, some are sent to, to different places, whether it's their, their home nation, their birth nation, or to a different nation, sometimes far away, sometimes nearby. And in some sense, we understand, I believe, as disciples of Christ, we're all missionaries. We all have the same mission, but then some are sent to places where they may not even be able to earn a living for themselves. They may not be allowed to, and so those who are in other places send them. Churches send them. Individuals send them. They support them. They invest as partners in their ministry financially and through prayer. So, but no matter where we are, we all have the same mission. If, since God has rescued us, reconciled us to himself, he has given us that same mission. Let's look at this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 14. <clears throat> this is what God's word says. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live 
should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We just sang about that, right? Death's been defeated. We, our life began. We've been made new. We're new creations. Verse 18. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Who are we? We're ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We then as workers together with him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So the gospel is that God made a way through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. By sending him to this earth to take on humanity. To live perfectly according to his father's law. No sin. But then to go to the cross and to be made sin on our behalf. The father put the sin of the world upon Christ so that his death, infinite God taking on the sin of the world, paid our debt so that we can become the righteousness of God through faith in Christ. You see, God made a plan. God made the way. He provided the means to bring us sinners back to him. That's the gospel. And it says here in this text... And every day this text is ever read is true. Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. And so I would plead with any of you here that you're not sure that you've been reconciled to God, that you're in a right relationship with him. Maybe today is the day you need to turn away from your sin and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who died for your sins. And if God is speaking to you today, if the voice of the Spirit is speaking to you, please do not harden your heart as the Bible says, in the day of rebellion. That's the mercy of God reaching out to you, drawing you to himself. It's the grace that can overcome your sin. And yes, give you heaven as your eternal home. But even greater and more joyous is today can be the day that your personal relationship with God begins. And he welcomes you back into his family to call you his own son, his own daughter. And some of the most precious words to me in the scripture says, and he's not ashamed to call you his brethren. Amen? What joy there is available, what grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. So if, if today, if, if you're not saved, may today be your day of salvation. You see, and for those of us who are already Christians, this is our mission. We have this good news dwelling within us. You know, these are earthen vessels. 
the glory of God through this message, through this mission. That's why God leaves us here. Wherever he places us is to shine his light and to keep giving that message to others. Hey, you can be reconciled to God. You can be reconciled to God. This is what God did for me. He brought me back to himself. You too can have this joy of being reconciled back to God. So that's our mission. That's our message. But with all aspects of the Christian life in regards to our sanctification, it's always a matter of where is our heart. And does our walk match our talk? You see, it's not just what we enjoy, a a status of being reconciled to God. It's not just a message we get to share with others, how glorious that is. But it's also something that should transform us from the inside out. This idea of reconciliation, this heart of reconciliation, needs to be something that God is doing on the inside. And, And I have some penetrating questions I'd like to ask you this morning as we turn to another passage. Let's go ahead and turn. Turn back to 2 Samuel chapter 14. 2 Samuel chapter 14. I try to read through the scriptures each year. And, um, and so I, oftentimes as I read through, there's a verse that stands out to me. The Holy Spirit is, is almost like a, a highlight. <laughs> you know, God hits me with it, and it's like I've never read it before. Anybody ever have that experience? Okay, I see a lot of heads nodding. It's how one of the, the Word of God is living and active. And it, it, God's Word is unchanging. It's not that God suddenly added something in there. It's always been there. But sometimes God just brings it to our mind, impresses it upon our hearts. And when I first came across this passage earlier, back in the spring, um, and read through it, I was, it, what hit me was, wow, here is another time where the gospel is, is mentioned in the Old Testament in some form. And, and it was just glorious. And I love to see those things, and I thought, next time I get to preach, I want to share on Second Samuel chapter 14. But God didn't leave it there. It wasn't just about the gospel. Instead, the Lord started convicting me about it. He said, Eric... You need to look at it closer. And as I looked at it closer, I realized why the Spirit of God was impressing it upon my heart. And I'll share that in a moment. How many of you have ever sinned against somebody? When you raise your hand. How many have ever been sinned against by someone? So we think about these relationships. We're sinners. Sin every day. Sometimes the sins we commit against others or they commit against us can really hurt us very deeply. How many would you said, you know, I, there's someone in my life that I have forgiven, but I'm okay if I never see them again? Anybody? Okay. I'm not trying to air this on TV or anything, you know, but the reality is we can, sometimes in, in the hurts, we think we have this concept of forgiveness that I'm not, I'm not going to hold it against you, but I really don't want to have fellowship with you. I, I'm okay if you just stay at a distance, especially if people move away, we get in a different perhaps social circle, and it happens in churches, right? And they go to a different church, perhaps, and you think, I don't have to see them on Sunday. 
And we have to ask ourselves, is that the heart of God? Is that how God treats us? 2 Samuel chapter 14, the backstory, this is the life of King David. Uh, I'll try to run through this backstory very quickly so we can just get to the meat of the, the one verse I really want us to focus on. In chapter 11, David gave in to his sexual lust, committed adultery with Bathsheba, and uh, of course conceived a child there, and, and David tried to cover his sin uh, unsuccessfully, end up actually having Uriah, her husband, murdered by the hands of the enemies of Israel. In chapter 12, David's confronted by the prophet Nathan. David does confess his sin finally and repent. Nathan reassured David that God had put away his sin at verse 13. What a, what a wonderful statement, chapter 12, verse 13. However, God was still going to, to chastise them. The, the child that was going to be born would die. But then God promised he would give David and Bathsheba another son. We know his name is Solomon, and he reigned in his father's place. In chapter 13, we read, of course, David had multiple wives. He has multiple families by these multiple women. Um, one of his sons was named Amnon. Amnon had a problem with lust, just like his father. He lusted after his half-sister, Tamar. Eventually, he ended up scheming with a friend. He, he raped his sister, Tamar, and then despised her and sent her away. David, their father, heard about it, apparently did nothing to chastise his son. This created some bitterness in her brother, Absalom. Absalom hated Amnon. And so he conspired to kill his half-brother, and he did that. He killed, two years later, he killed Amnon. David, again, did nothing to discipline his son, Absalom. Instead, Absalom runs away for three years. He spends with his grandfather in a place called Gesher. And that's where we'll pick up the story at the end of chapter 13. You look in verse 37. But Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Ammon, king of Gesher. And David mourned for his son every day. So Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there three years. And King David longed to go to Absalom, for he had been comforted concerning Amnon because he was dead. So he found some comfort in his sorrow that, of Amnon's death. And he had this, this sense of longing to be back in a relationship with his son Absalom. But he apparently seemed stuck. He didn't do anything about it for three years. Didn't do anything. And I would say, if you're estranged from somebody in your life, you, you used to have a good relationship with, and sin has come in, there's been offense taken, maybe forgiveness has been granted, maybe not. Maybe you sought it, maybe it hasn't been granted. Maybe you wish they would ask forgiveness, and, but is your heart ready to forgive? But for whatever reason, you're still estranged. If you are longing, if God is speaking to you even today about that relationship, that is the mercy and grace of God reaching out to you and saying, I can help you. That's the goodness of God working in your heart because God is a God of restoration. God is a God of reconciliation. And I want you to take some courage in that this morning, that God can help you. Well, David didn't do anything, but his commander, Joab, did. Let's look at chapter 14. So Joab, the son of Zariah, perceived that the king's heart was concerned about Absalom. And Joab sent it to Cohen, brought from there a wise woman, and said to her, Please pretend to be a mourner. 
and put on mourning apparel. Do not anoint yourself with oil, but act like a woman who has been mourning a long time for the dead. Go to the king and speak to him in this manner. So Joab put the words in her mouth. When the woman of Tekoa spoke to the king, she fell on her face to the ground and prostrated herself and said, Help, O king! And the king said to her, What troubles you? And she answered, Indeed, I am a widow. My husband is dead. Now your maidservant had two sons, and the two fought with each other in the field, and there was no one to part them, but the one struck the other and killed him. And now the whole family has risen up against your maidservant, and they said, Deliver him who struck his brother, that we may execute him for the life of his brother whom he killed. And we will destroy the heir also. So they would extinguish my ember that is left and leave to my husband neither name nor remnant on the earth. Now pause for a moment. You understand the situation? She had two sons. This is her story anyway. She had two sons. They fought. One killed the other. And now according to the Mosaic law, the avenger of blood, a kinsman, could call for the death of the murderer. And that's why the cities of refuge were placed around the, the nation of Israel. Okay? So they're, they're going, according to the law calling for the death of the other brother. Because she's a widow, she only has two sons. If both sons are killed, her husband also dead, now she is destitute. She has no rights to land or wealth. She would be totally dependent upon the mercy uh, and benevolence of others. So that's the situation. That's the story. Look at what the king says. Verse 8, Then the king said to the woman, Go to your house, and I will give orders concerning you. And the woman of Tekoa said to the king, My lord, O king, let the iniquity be on me and my father's house, and the king and his throne be guiltless. So the king said, Whoever says anything to you, bring him to me, and he shall not touch you any more. Then she said, Please let the king remember the Lord your God, and do not permit the avenger of blood to destroy any more, lest they destroy my son. And he said, As the Lord lives, not one hair of your son shall fall to the ground. So it's you see, it's, it's raising. The tension is raising here. She keeps going after this. She's not letting it go, even though King David said, I'll take care of it. Verse 12. Therefore the woman said, Please let your maidservant speak another word to my lord the king. And he said, Say on. So the woman said, Why then have you schemed such a thing against the people of God? For the king speaks this thing as one who is guilty and that the king does not bring his banished one home again. See, that's when the Holy Spirit started getting my attention with what he was truly trying to say to me. Because I was in that same situation, estranged from someone who I had forgiven, he had forgiven me, but I was finding a very unsatisfactory comfort in keeping him at a distance. We really didn't have to see each other anymore. I really didn't want to see this person anymore. It was a reminder of some deep hurt. And the Spirit of God says, Eric, you. You have schemed. Verse 14, the woman said, For we will surely die and become like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Yet God does not take away a life, but he devises means so that his banished ones are not expelled from him. The woman was saying, listen, we're all going to die. That's not the issue. The biggest issue is King David. You're not being like God. See, as king of Israel, of the theocracy, the earthly king representing God, he was supposed to be like a shepherd to the people, a leader, 
of course. But he was ruling in the place of God, under God's authority. He was supposed to be like God in and, and his character of holding his word. Remember, the king was even supposed to write a copy of the Mosaic Law in his own hand so that he wouldn't forget it. And what this woman is saying is, King David, you, you had two sons that fall with each other. One murdered the other, and, and one is banished from you, and you're not doing anything about it. David, you are not being like God. You are allowing, you, you, are, you are finding some strange comfort in keeping your son at a distance. And that is not what God does. Instead, she said, the Lord devises means, which means he thinks thoughts. He plans out a way to bring those who are expelled back to him so that they are not banished forever. You see, that's the gospel, right? That's what he did in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we think about missions, the the mission God has given to us, the message of reconciliation that we as Christians carry around, are we living it out personally with others in our lives? If if we share the gospel with, with a lost person, if in the background there was a giant screen of our relationships with other people, would they see us sort of on the opposite side of a river of someone? Or we, would they be able to see people that are linked arms together where we have made efforts to reconcile? Now, this message is not all that the Bible teaches about forgiveness. There's no way we could cover that this morning. And, and I, I don't doubt, maybe there's times you have made some efforts towards reconciliation. And you may think you've done everything you can do. Maybe the Spirit of God even has given you some peace in certain relationships. You've done all that you can do to live at peace with that person. When it comes to these human relationships, both parties have to do something to come together. But the question is, is, are we and have we made sufficient efforts? Has it really been in our hearts to reconcile like God does? Have we been like God? Are our hearts reflective of God's heart of reconciliation? Or are we content keeping people at a distance. And I would also ask you this question this morning. How do you see God when you sin? I'm not, I'm not asking you to, to, to come up with a picture in some idolatrous way. And, and God hates sin. But do you see God as one who is angry, wanting to keep you apart? If so, you don't have the right image of God. No. Salvation is God brings us back. He adopts us as his own children and says, I make you my own. You are not my people, but now you are my people. So if you're struggling with that, some of us tend to be really hard on ourselves. And we don't trust God's forgiveness. You may even fall into this idea of you have to do something to earn it. That's not the gospel. I would, I would urge you to seek some counsel from your elders 
Let them take you into some passages of God's Word. They'll help you find joy in knowing you have been forgiven. Because if you think that's how God treats you, you're more likely to treat others that way as well. But where are your hearts this morning? We have to close this morning. Just urge you, maybe, maybe the Lord's speaking to you that you need to make some efforts. You need to plan some plans, devise some means to make an effort to reconcile with someone. And let's pray together that God's grace and mercy will come into those relationships and bring that reconciliation about. But we, we just need to do our part and trust the Lord for the rest of it. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time this morning. It has gone by so quickly. But your word is true and powerful. And Lord, you know this is a message, these are truths that we will need regularly in our lives. And so we, we pray that you'd help us to have your heart. That we would forgive people like you forgive. Like Ephesians 4.32 mentions. That we would forgive others just as you, through Christ, have forgiven us. God, I pray for these relationships that are estranged. God, you would give us wisdom to have the, the grace, the love, the humility to reach out in a wise and, and godly way. And Lord, we pray that you would restore relationships because your glory is at stake. You want our earthly relationships to be reflective of our relationship with you. So help us to do our part. And God, I pray that you would move in the hearts of others and that, that we would soon be able to share testimonies with one another of your glorious, amazing work here on earth. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.